Morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy that you joined us this morning. I got a question for you. Have you ever stopped to think, what does God feel? Just take a couple seconds. We were in a contemplative space. Have you ever thought about what does God feel? How does God feel? Maybe you've been walking with God. You would call yourself a Christian. Maybe you wouldn't subscribe to the Christian title and you don't know where you stand with Jesus. The question still remains, how does God feel? What I love about uh, this kind of earthly human experience is sometimes we get to peep and see like a little bit of what God feels and thinks. And when we read the Bible, the Bible is designed to help us see that a little bit as well. But even in our human experience, we get to touch and see and get a little taste, a little glimpse of maybe what God feels and is thinking about (laughs) I remember back in the day um, when I was a young whippersnapper. This is before I met my wife. I'm just putting that caveat out there. Make that very clear. I, did, I didn't even know her yet. But there was a young lady that I was interested in, and, you know, the old school folks would say I was uh, smitten a little bit. And I thought she was so pretty, and I remember meeting her at an event and getting the courage to, to try to talk to her. But at this point, like I had, um, I had just started following Jesus, and it was very new and fresh for me. So I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I approach this? Now I'm supposed to be a little different, you know? I'm supposed to make, do this right. Like I'm trying to figure that out. So, you know, I, you know, I thought about like a, a quick little Bible joke usage. I was like... Hey, girl, you know I've been looking for you. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? You know? Don't use that, guys. Please, please, never, never use that. But I remember her being so pretty. I told my boys all about her being pretty, and I couldn't wait to kind of get into this relationship with her, get to know her more, get to know her family and all that good stuff. And so we talked for a little while and uh, things were cordial and nice over some time and things got really distant. And they kind of just ended. And I, I literally like never spoke to her again uh, after some time. I know it's true. <laughs> it just kind of got, that's real distant. Uh, maybe for you, maybe... Maybe that didn't happen for you in a, in a romantic situation, but maybe there is a sibling or a family member um, or a sister or a cousin or a brother that you desire to be in close relationship with. You want to be in relationship with them, but things are cordial, things are nice, but things are kind of distant. Maybe it's a professional setting for you. Maybe you're Uh, You have uh, someone in your industry, maybe it's your boss, maybe the reason you went initially took the job is because the professional in front of you was amazing. And you're like, man, I want to mimic 
some of my time in this industry after this person. And you ask them professionally, you say, hey, man, I see what you're doing and I love what you're doing. I want to be, uh, would you, sh- can I shadow you? Can I be in a close relationship with you so I can just learn from you? And things are cordial and nice, but things are distant. And it's that distance. If you could just journey with me really quick, just, just take those feelings of that distance. And maybe I didn't identify a specific situation for you, but everyone in here can identify with distance in a relationship. You know how it feels and you know how, uh, uh, how disappointing it is because you really desire something. You want to be in close proximity, but it's just not happening. I think that distance or that experience and our human experience, I think a little bit, that gives us a glimpse, a little glimpse of how God feels. God desires to be in deep, close proximity with his creation. But we're nice and we're cordial, but there's distance. I wonder if we ever stop to think how God feels. After 15 years of of messing up and trying to do it right and messing up again and trying to do it right, I am fully convinced that God created people to be with him and not work for him. God created people to be with him in a harmonious relationship connected, close with him, not work for him. Listen to how uh, the Bible tells, Jesus says this in the book of Matthew, says it, uh, Jesus says it this way, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you We're not willing. God created people to be in relationship with him, to be with him, not work or do or just work or just do for him. I want to dive into our text this morning. It's found in John 1, and I I love how the gospel writer is going to help us see and taste and feel a little bit of God's heart. Verse 9 starts like this, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What the gospel writer John is doing here strategically is he's helping us wrap our minds around God's desire to be close to us by using the parent-child relationship, the parent-child analogy. And he, he's, I think, and, and for me, this is why, why John is so creative is because 
that gives us a glimpse. Because if anybody tells you that they know what God is thinking or they know exactly how God feels, run from them. Because we, we, we don't have the ability to do that. No human has the propensity to grasp how big, how wide, how strong God is. That's facts. But what John is doing is he's trying to give us a, a human relationship, a human analogy that we can wrap our mind around to really understand God's panting and desire to be in relationship with us. Now, I do have to say, maybe some of us don't have uh, quite the best relationship uh, with our parents, and that, that analogy may strike you or, or may not be the best one. Let's face it, that's some truth in the room, yes? However, I don't think John wants us to maybe focus on the individual dynamics of it. He wants us to step above a little bit and think, it, think about the passion and the desire that a parent has inherently. Whether they're able to be, or, or whether they're not able to actually function and, and display that in, in a way that would be receiving to a child, that's not what John's focused on. He wants us to just think about the inherent desire a parent has. Bottom line, if AJ needs something, my son, I'm going to figure out how to get it for him. And also the inherent desire of a child to desire, to pant and want to be loved and accepted by a parent. That's inherent to both the parent and the child. And what John strategically is doing in this passage is he's, he's, he's giving us something to wrap our minds around the reality that God desires to be with us. He created people to be with us, not with him, sorry, but not work for him. But something strikes me in this text. Maybe it struck you as well. When I look at John chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. How does God feel? I mean, can, can you think about a time when you came to, to those who should have accepted you, those who should have known what you were about or what you were bringing to the table, and those were the very people that did not receive you? I'm the proud father in a blended family, and my wife had two beautiful, amazing girls before we got married. They are now 21 and 18. But if I were to be honest, I remember being excited about being married and getting into this relationship. I'm like, if those two beautiful girls come with her, then I want that. I was good with that. And I remember stepping in with the desire to be a dad. I had no kids of my own yet. And I remember desiring to be in such deep, close relationship with them. And initially, things were cordial. Things were nice. But there was distance. We, when they left for school, they would say, love you. Love you. <laughs> I love that. That felt made me feel good, Chris. But things were cordial, things were nice, but there was distance. In my heart, I was panting. I was panting for them to, to yo, just call me dad one time. <laughs> one time. 
I mean, it's beautiful. My, my youngest daughter calls me dad. That's amazing, knowing her situation. And my oldest daughter said her biological person ruined that title, and she wouldn't put that title on me. I'm better than that to her. Amazing. God desires to be in deep relationship with us, but John 1.11 tells us he came to which, that which was his own, and this, his own did not receive him. And here's the context. I want to give you the biblical context here. John is writing this, and remember, Jesus came as a Jew. And so this is why the incarnation, this is why you got to listen to the podcast, what Jordan talked about last week is dope. This idea that God came in bodily form in the person of Jesus is amazing to the Christian story. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's up there. It's the pillar of why we believe what we believe as Christians that God in his bigness and his supernatural, like in his glory and his majesty, he, he packed it all into a person just to close the proximity, proximity between us and his creation. The incarnation is dope and it's real. But we see that God, Jesus came as a Jewish man. And what the, but what John is saying is that Jesus showed up as a Jew and even the Jews did not receive him. He was one of them. He was a Jewish dude. He, he followed everything that you would need to follow as a Jewish boy. He learned what he had to learn. He obeyed when he had to obey. He thought, he thought like he was supposed to think. He did everything he was supposed to do. Yet the Jews who were there were like, yo, you're just the son of a carpenter. They didn't receive him. I'm reminded of a story where Jesus is walking through a town and uh, there's a dude named Zacchaeus who has to climb up on a tree and, and, and just to see what all the commotion is about because he's a rich dude. He has a lot of money. He's a, a, a chief tax collector, which means he was taxing people and then taxing people. And then he had people taxing people, right? Like this dude Zacchaeus was a big deal. And so he knows he's a big deal. He's like, why all this commotion? So he, he crawls up a tree just to see who everybody's talking about. And it's this dude named Jesus. And Jesus is walking by under the sycamore tree. He looks up, sees Zacchaeus and says, yo, I'm coming to have dinner with you. And so Zacchaeus is blown away, blown away immediately. But if you read the story carefully, the crowd, when the crowd saw Jesus interacting with Zacchaeus, they were like, yo, this dude is crazy. He gets down and he wants to know and be close to tax collectors and sinners. Who is this guy? The Jews' perception of who the Messiah was supposed to be did not fit with what Jesus was actually doing. Therefore, they rejected him. They didn't receive him. <laughs> but before we start just thinking about the Jews, you don't receive him either. I don't receive him either. I mean, that wasn't just for you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we in this together. We miss him too. Why? Why do you and I miss God? Why do we miss Jesus? 
And look, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I don't want, I don't want you to feel guilty because listen to this. We're in good company. There are biblical characters who's missed him as well. It te- the Bible tells us in Genesis, Jacob, one of the, forefa- fa- the forefathers of the Christian faith, he was, was traveling uh, to a land that God had promised him, and he stopped to take a nap. And he has this amazing dream. And afterwards, he wakes up, he says this in Genesis 28, 16. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. You and I are no different. Surely the Lord has been in your midst. He's been in my midst, and we have not been aware of it. But why? Why? Why is it hard for us to receive God? I think there's... A couple major reasons. Here's one reason. There's an adversary. There's, a, there's an enemy who's working actively uh, to deceive, to distort, to, to mess up all the things that God has already done. This adversary has a name. He has a, a, a title uh, that's called, that's, it's Satan, but, but it means adversary. He's just working to just mess up everything that God's trying to do. And there's some real truth. Uh, I was thinking about a scripture uh, in between uh, our services, and, and, and Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that di- displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Like, yo, that's a, that's a real thing. There's an active force trying to blind you, trying to keep your eyes from seeing who God is. Yo, that's, you may not believe in the devil, but that's true. There's a force that wants to make sure you don't see correctly. Then also, I think part of this reality is that you and I are damaged by sin. One of the, 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 the main reasons uh, uh, the, the Bible is a, is a complete narrative, why we have to read it as a complete narrative, because it tells us that, that, that we, we've been damaged by this condition. See, it, if we go back to the book of Genesis, people will create, in Genesis 1, God creates people. He creates men and women, men and women, and uh, 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 man and woman, and he puts them together, and there's this harmonious relationship between man and woman. Praise the Lord. And there's a <laughs> harmonious relationship between, between man, women, and God. Come on, somebody. There is this harmonious connection, this, this closeness, this relationship that was, I depend on you, you depend on me, we all good. That's how it was supposed to to be. Then the Bible tells us that enters this character, this Satan, this deceiver, he comes and he convinces man and woman that uh, your current harmonious relationship with God is not all that is cracked up to be. You need to probably do a little something different. And, they, and, and they're deceived into thinking that, you know what? Maybe what God is telling us is not what's best for us. And so God gave some instructions about what you can and cannot do. There was this little uh, donut hole that was old and crusty. 
sitting over here, and they had all these donuts. They had every donut you could think of. But they focused on this little donut hole that they couldn't eat. And they were deceived into thinking, yo, God, you don't have my best interest in mind. Sin, the condition of sin, has a DNA. The DNA of sin is selfishness. And what happened is what entered into the heart of men and women was this idea that life is all about me. You know the greatest way to destroy a relationship is to make it all about you. My wife would be amening if she was in here right now. <laughs> the best way, the easiest way you could destroy your relationship is make it all about you. God desired to be in this close relationship with us, but sin entered our hearts, and now we're telling God, chill, we could do it ourselves. We don't need you. There's some effects of this condition called sin as well. So yes, we're damaged by sin, but this damage has had some effects in our lives. Here's one. It affects our ability to trust. Anybody in here got trust issues? We got trust issues with people. Sin, the damage of sin created that. We got trust issues with God. We, we don't trust the motivation in the heart of God. We're not certain that God is doing everything that he needs to do for us. We're a little concerned. We meet him and we're like, I see what you're trying to do. I feel you, but nah. We question God's motivation. We question God's heart because we're damaged by sin. Another thing that I think uh, one of the effects of being damaged by sin is sin clouds our perception. It distorts our perception. So uh, we see out of a broken lens. Like the condition of sin has, re- has almost uh, uh, rewired us in a way that now everything we see is from a broken lens. If I could use one of our very own, Kevin, had a, uh, he had some challenges with his eyesight. He went to the doctor. The doctors told him that the lens in his eye was shattered. And he couldn't, he couldn't see properly. He, st- he stopped being able to see color. It's crazy, right? He, he talked about being, like, walking down the street or being in the train and, and feeling like a little, a little crazy now because he couldn't see. Like, what if something approached him from the side that he couldn't see on? Like, the damage of sin is kind of like that. That it discolors everything that you see. So when you see somebody trying to get close to you or be, be, be honest and be vulnerable with you, maybe you back up. When you see somebody trying to be extra nice and they're trying to do a, a, a bunch of things for you, you kind of like, hold up, why are you being so nice to me? I mean, that's just human, that's just human nature. It's real, right? 
Because we're damaged by sin, our perception is off. It's distorted. It's like looking through broken glass. And not only do the things that we see outwardly, it's the way that we see God. When God says, trust me, I know everything about you. I know every hair on your head. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I know it all. Just, just follow me. Take my hand. Because of our lens being distorted, we like, hold up. I need to get right first. Like, I need some security first before I start taking your hand. When the very hand he's extending is the security. Our perception is off. Here's the last effect that I think being damaged by sin cause. It causes us to be unable or unable, enable. I guess those both are two words. It's, it becomes almost impossible for us to receive. It becomes extremely difficult for us to receive. Because, uh, again, as I said, as a, as, a, as a father in a blended family, and, and some of the rockiness in the beginning, and then my own struggles and my own realities where there were times that I felt like I wanted my mom or my dad to see me differently and, you know, and, and be close to me, uh, when, I'm, when I think about my relationship with my daughters and they now try to do things to show me that they love me, sometimes, I got to be honest, it's still hard for me to receive that. One, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I struggle with vulnerability and then because I'm damaged by sin, like I see their efforts and I think to myself, that's not good enough. If you love me, you would do X. When I just need to receive that they did Y. Being damaged by sin affects our trust. It affects our perception. It affects how we receive. But here's the thing. I want you to get this. Just because you and I are damaged, it does not mean God's intention has changed. Just because you and I are damaged by sin, it does not mean God's intention has changed. I've played basketball my entire life, and I got to play professionally, and I, I made some money, I traveled, it was great. In the midst of playing basketball, I broke my finger. And now, don't laugh. This is sensitive. I was wrestling with AJ. I was like, yo, you want to fight? And I couldn't make two fists. He laughed at me. But literally, I cannot bend my finger. I went to a specialist. And I was like, yo, can you help me? He was like, nah, bro. <laughs> that joint is messed up for good. He's like, you just going to have to deal with it. I'm like, man, um, my finger is damaged. It's like severely damaged. 
But the intention and the purpose for my finger has never changed. My finger was designed to move and function like this. That's how my fingers were designed to function in the same way. Just because you and I are damaged, it doesn't mean God stopped having a desire to be close to you and to be in an intimate relationship with you. Because remember, God created people to be with him, not work, not just work for him. So how does this text help us? How does John help us see this truth, this reality? Well, go to verse 12. It says, all to all, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's simply what that means. You and I can't just become children of God on our own. We don't have the ability just to say, okay, I'm damaged. Let me polish myself off. Let me step into the family of God and receive all the benefits of being called a child of God. It doesn't quite happen that way. What John is saying, look at verse 13, what I love. John says, well, I'm going to read verse 12 again. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's kind of how that has to happen. Children, you have to be children born not of natural descent. So here's what John is saying. John is saying, don't think that just because you were born a Jew means you're good with God. That's true to the context of the scripture. Don't think just because grandma or your family went to church, you good with God. You're not born of just natural descent. Says, nor of human decision. Like, he's also, John is also given an analogy here, even if uh, uh, someone had um, the desire to try to change themselves, you can't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm just going to be good enough. It's not even in human decision that you can rework this damage, being, this condition of being damaged by sin. Here's the last one. Or a husband's will. He's also saying, like, you, people don't just produce Naturally, even through the, the regular childbirth process, people don't just naturally produce children of God because we're damaged by sin, so what we produce is also damaged by sin. He says, this got to be a whole different type of producing. It has to be a whole made and created in a whole different fashion. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To be a child of God means you have been reborn by God. And how? It says, yet to all those of us and those of you who would receive him. 
Those of you who would say, you know what? I, in my own ability, have no ability to receive him, but I saw that there was a God who was willing to put on human nature, to step down into human history, to come and close the gap between him and his creation, and he stood vulnerable. And all those pictures that we see of of Jesus with, like, cloth on, that wasn't true. Jesus was naked on the cross, totally humiliated in front of the world, saying to you and I, I want you to be my children. Won't you come? To all who believe and receive what he has done. To all who, who have believed in his name. The challenge was people couldn't comprehend that the God of the universe that they read about The guy that they heard about was actually this Jesus in front of them. They couldn't comprehend that. So they didn't believe in his name. But to those of us who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, to those folks, there's been a a privilege granted. You can start calling yourself the child of God. You're not just a creation. Think about it. God created you people, and we are the only part of God's creation that has his image on us. We're the only, only part of God's creation that bears his image. The mountains don't, even though they look so pretty. The cityscape doesn't, even though it's beautiful when the sun is setting on all the buildings. You ever seen... Our cityscape, when the sun is setting on it, it's amazing. But you and I were stamped with the image of God. And Jesus says, you have to be born of God. John says, you have to be born of God to now be able to get these privileges and be called children of God. What I hope happens this morning is that your heart changes. Listen to how one of the prophets said it. Ezekiel 36, 24 says this, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Man, I have some idols, Lord. I will give you a new heart and put a spirit. New spirit in you. Man, I need a new heart. My heart is always going to wane. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. When we are born of God, we now get to step into the family of God and benefit from the rights and the privileges of being children of God. But so what? What now? Man, here's my hope. And I don't mean so what, like that's not important. I mean, what does that mean for us today? It would behoove us to appropriate this message and then be able to now do something different in our life. Well, for the children of God, things change when you start operating in your rights. Situations change. People change. Things change when you start functioning like you know who your dad is. 
You pray differently when you know who your dad is. You walk into a room differently when you know who your dad is. You handle adversity because it's going to happen. You handle it differently when you know who your dad is. My vice president, uh, many of you know I work for an organization called Young Life, and our vice president um, has a son, and we do a basketball camp. He has two sons and a daughter. <laughs> you didn't need to know that. <laughs> but he has two sons, and his youngest son has been desiring to come to our basketball camp and actually play. So he comes to camp when he's really young, and he's like, yo, I want to play. Yo, let me play. They're like, yo, get out of here, man. You can't. We're trying to hoop. This is like man's game. They're in high school. <laughs> then he comes back again, and he's trying to play. He's trying to get in the game. They keep telling them no. This year, he goes to camp. He steps on a court. He looks around. He says, yo, I have to play. They're like, yo. Get out of here. He's, no, y'all have to let me play. They're like, yo, get out of here. Why do we, all right, all right, why do we have to let you play? Because my dad runs this camp. <laughs> my dad runs this camp, and y'all gonna let me, oh, he played. <laughs> he, he played a lot. Yeah. When the children of God start functioning with the rights and the privileges that we have, things are different. My encouragement, my hope is that John has helped us hear, taste, and see that God's desire is for us to be with him, not just work for him. If you're just working for him, you will be a clanging cymbal. It will sound like noise to everybody else. But when you trust that you're his child, he's going to send you out like his child, and you're going to function accordingly. Let me pray. Daddy, thank you for the truth of how you have loved us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you do and how you do it, that we were born not of human descent, that we would be born not of a husband's will, but we would be born by God. Lord, help us live into the privileges of being children of God. We experience them slowly over time. Thank you that you walk with us. And, and your intent and your purpose for us does not change because we're damaged. In Jesus' name, amen.